Howard Stern is a disc jockey who many of us have heard about. Uh, he is a disc jockey who's pretty well known for his vulgar and his crude antics on radio and television shows. In fact, at last count, Howard Stern has been fined about $1.5 million by the FCC for the violations that he has committed on those shows and the things that he's talked about and the language he's used. And uh, it's interesting to me that back in 1994, Stern decided to run for the office of governor of New York. Uh, but when he found out that by running for public office, he would have to uh, disclose his finances, that he would be required to file what's called a financial disclosure statement, he withdrew his candidacy. His reason? He said that a financial disclosure statement was way too personal to be made public. You know, I, I find it to be interesting that here's a guy who, who regularly describes his sexual behavior in detail to hundreds of thousands of listeners across the country. Here's a guy who describes uh, in explicit ways uh, or has uh, you know, explicit sexual games on his shows, and yet he feels it Disclosing his personal finances is a little much to talk about publicly. <laughs> you know, when I heard that, I thought to myself, what's wrong with that picture? That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? And yet the reality is, isn't it, that uh, while none of us here this morning would probably do the things that Stern does or talk about those things publicly, I, I would bet that, that a lot of us feel the same way he does uh, about our personal finances being a very private matter. Most of us want to keep uh, our income levels and our spending and our debt and, and our giving habits private. I mean, I realize that privacy about this kind of topic is, is, uh, is something that's a part of our culture today, isn't it? It's hard for us to talk about our money. It's hard to talk about our finances with people, even sometimes people who we're close with, uh, even people who uh, we know well. And, uh, and usually talking about this stuff is off limits in our private conversations, isn't it? I mean, what would you think if after our service today, I, you know, grabbed you going out the door and I said, you know, hey, what is it that you make for money? What's your salary level? And how much do you spend on your house? Or how much do you spend for this thing or that thing? And, 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 and you know, how much are you giving to the ministry of the church? I, I mean, we just don't do that stuff in our culture. A couple of years ago, a, a sociologist by the name of Robert Wuthnow uh, did a study of attitudes toward money that people in churches have. And what he found out was that 95% of churchgoers have never discussed their personal finances with other members of their church family. It is just simply a topic that is off limits for most people. And yet I've got to say to us today that the Bible doesn't have those kind of hang-ups about talking about money. I mean, all we need to do is look at a concordance or look at a topical Bible and, and take a look at how often it talks about money and, and, and how often it talks about other things. If we did that, we would find, for example, that, that the topic of prayer is, is spoken of in the Scriptures by name 270 times. The Bible talks about loving other people about 370 times. And you know how often it talks about our money and how we use our possessions? <laughs> talks about that over 2,000 times. <laughs> it just doesn't have the hang-ups that we have in our culture about money. And so given that reality and the fact that God calls any of us who are true believers to live our lives according to what the Scripture teaches us, 
as we talk about money and, and see what the writers of Proverbs have to say about this issue in our life, about the money issue of our life, I, I want to say that, that as difficult as it is for me to talk about this stuff and maybe as difficult as it is for you to hear about this stuff, we need to look at this openly. We need to look at it honestly because it's in the Word of God. And in fact, God addresses this issue more than any other single issue that he speaks of in his word. Now, in, in talking about this, I, I, I think the uh, 18th century uh, preacher, John Wesley, uh, uh, had it, he, I mean, I think he was right on target because when talking about this stuff, he used to say, when he was speaking about the subject of money, this, he would say, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And you know, that's a pretty good summary of what the book of Proverbs says about this issue of money and how you and I can live wisely when it comes to handling money in our lives. First of all, the writer of Proverbs talks about money in terms of earning all we can or, or what we might call embracing hard work. If you're taking message notes this morning, put in that word work in the blank. Proverbs talks about this principle of earning all we can by being diligent in our work, working as hard as we can. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 4. It says, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, when we hear this, I, I got to say to us, please realize that this proverb is not saying that laziness is the cause of all poverty in the world. It is saying, rather, that laziness is one potential cause of poverty. Uh, we need to remember, as we look through Proverbs this summer, that, that the Proverbs here in the Bible are, are basically generalizations about life. They're general observations about how life works most of the time. And so we need to understand that the writer of Proverbs here is not saying that every person who's poor got that way because they're lazy, any more than it's saying that every person who's wealthy got that way from hard work. Clearly, a lot of people who are poor are poor due to circumstances that all the hard work in the world isn't going to be able to overcome. And a lot of people who are wealthy are wealthy because they maybe inherited their wealth or or, or maybe they just fell into it. Maybe they played the lottery and happened to be, uh, you know, one of those people that, that won the lottery. But, but, but what the proverb is saying here is that in general, laziness leads down the economic ladder, while diligent and hard work generally leads up the economic ladder. And Proverbs 14.23 is saying essentially the same thing when, when it says, all hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. Now, now, in the Hebrew language that the Proverbs was written in, uh, this word that is translated into our English language as hard work literally means work that is toilsome, work that at times can be painful, uh, you know, the kind of work that makes us drip with sweat, or if we work in an office, uh, the kind of work that takes so much concentration and so much focus that, say, our, you know, our head begins to hurt after a while. And in Proverbs 14, 23, that kind of hard work is contrasted with mere talk. In other words, with things like get-rich-quick schemes or, or, or things like saying you have all these big lofty business plans and all these things we're going to do, and we just talk about it, but we never get around to doing it. Friends, these two Proverbs about diligence provide us with our first insight uh, 
you know, about living wisely when it comes to this money issue in our life. And what they're saying is that we are living wisely when we work hard. We are living wisely when we are diligent in the workplace. We are living wisely when we work hard to reach our earning potential. Now, now I want to pause for a moment and just, you know, say a word about work here. Uh, because sometimes when, when people think about work and they look back at the early part of the Bible, they, they think that, that work was part of the curse that resulted from mankind having sinned. People will read Genesis 3 and the story of how you know, mankind broke our relationship with God through our sin. And as a result of that, uh, as a result of our sin, uh, one of the consequences of those is that our work has been affected. And so people will look sometimes at work and think that it's part of the curse. But you know, the Bible just doesn't teach us that. The Bible actually teaches us that work was an essential part of God's created order for us. That it was an essential part of God's created design for, for you and for me. In fact, uh, before sin even entered into the world, Genesis tells us that God commanded the first man, the first woman, to work the garden. Work came before sin. And so where the curse part of this in regard to our work comes into play is that as a result of our sin, our work is made more difficult. Our work is made more frustrating. Our work is made more toilsome. The consequence of sin, God says in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, is that, is that work is going to get a lot tougher for us. It's going to be a lot tougher for you and me to be able to make a living in order to be able to eat and pay the bills. However, let's understand this morning that work has always been a part of God's plan for his human family. And, and, and so when we work, we are demonstrating that we are made in the image of this creator God. We are demonstrating God's image when we use our resources to create and to organize and to produce and to help people. Whether you're in construction this morning and you build homes or you work in the bank that writes the loan for that home. Whether you wait on tables in a restaurant or you're selling cars or you're teaching school or, or you're a farmer or you're a pastor or you're a, a medical uh, person or some other professional or, or, or whether you're doing the good and the godly work of, of owning a company that, that does a good and godly thing by employing people or whether you work for that company or whether you're a stay-at-home mom that, that is working hard to, to raise your family, we were made to labor. Understand this morning that that is a part of God's image within us. And the writer of Proverbs say to us that when we do that well, when you and I do that diligently, the writer of Proverbs says that that is generally going to lead us up the economic ladder to financial success. Now again, realize this is, this is speaking in a generalization. It's not saying that every hardworking person is going to become wealthy and rich in the way that our world views wealth and success. But in general, it's saying that hard work will lead us up the ladder financially. And John Wesley noticed this trend, which is why he said to the people he ministered to back a couple hundred years ago, earn all you can. You see, the people to whom John Wesley ministered to and led to faith in Christ were among some of the poorest of the poor in England. 
They, they were from the slums of London. They were from the coal mines on the outskirts of England and of London and, and, and throughout the nation of England. And, and Wesley noticed that after these people came to faith in Christ and, and they began to grow and they began to mature in their Christian living and life, they began to uh, develop different work habits than what they'd had before they were believers. And he noticed that when they began to develop diligence, it, it led them to be more successful financially in the culture in which we lived. That's the general truth of what the writer of Proverbs is talking about when it talks about working hard. When it talks about working consistently. When it talks about working diligently. When we're on, uh, when we're on the job, we give it our all. Now, again, I want to pause here this morning because, and say something because a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at what the Proverbs said about taking initiative and we were looking at this area of work in our life, uh, there were a few people that approached me with some questions about what exactly I was saying. And I got to tell you, uh, the writer of Proverbs in the scripture is not ever saying that you and I should be working all the time and you and I should be sacrificing our families and our relationships on the altar of work, Okay. If you're one like me who struggles sometimes with workaholism, and some of you know that I wrestle with that sometimes, the writer of Proverbs and, and the scriptures never, never, never say that's okay. But what they're saying is that when we work, we want to work to bring honor and glory to God. We want to work diligently. They're saying the same thing that, that Paul says in, in Colossians 3. When he says, whatever we do, work at it with all of our heart as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so what the scripture is saying to us today when it comes to this issue of our finances and our money in regard to work is earn all you can. Embrace hard work and do it for the glory of God. And then the writers of Proverbs go on to Talk about some other things when it comes to money. And, and it says, secondly, it, when it comes to living wisely in this arena of our life, avoid foolish debt. Save all we can. Save all we can. Avoid foolish debt. Look at Proverbs 22.7 as it talks about this second insight about living wisely when it comes to our money. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is the servant to the lender. Basically, what that is saying is that we are wise about money when you and I avoid incurring foolish debt. Now, and I want to say this morning that I realize that in the body of Christ, there's all kinds of, you know, all kinds of debate that goes on between people in the church about debt and whether to borrow and what to borrow for and what not to borrow for. And, and, and I know that there are some people and maybe even some people here this morning who, who believe that this proverb is saying that we should never borrow for anything. Uh, they'll, they'll even, some people even say, even when it comes to financing a car, a home or building a church, we've got to have the money to pay for it all first. And, and I want to say to you, you know, I, I respect that opinion. I have these conversations with people, but it's not where, where I believe the Bible is coming from because, uh, you know, well, here's why. Let me tell you why. And, and it is because in the old Testament, being in a financial position to be able to loan a person money is always linked to being blessed by God. 
If you were to go home today and read Deuteronomy chapter 15, we'd see that, that God promises his people, the people of God in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, that if they walk in God's blessings, they will be in a position to lend money to other people and not have to borrow from anyone. And so when I see this stuff in scriptures, what I, what I, I think to myself is, well, you know, the question comes to my mind. If having the ability to loan money is a result of being blessed by God, does it make sense that God would want us to use his blessings in our life to lead others to do something that is wrong? You see, if borrowing money is wrong for everything, it is unlikely that God would call our ability to be able to loan money a blessing because he wouldn't want us using that to cause people to do something he doesn't approve of. Well, well seeing that, what then is this proverb saying? <laughs> Well, what the proverb is saying is we're going to have some balance here because obviously, clearly, borrowing is not always a good idea. It's not saying it's always wrong. It's not saying that there aren't going to be times when you and I have to borrow on credit for something. But it's saying that, you know, it's just most of the time not a good idea. In fact, much of what the Bible says about borrowing money is negative. But the Bible stops short of saying that we should never buy anything on credit. And then when we do borrow, the Bible does give us some instructions, as it says that we've got to repay what it is that we've borrowed. Uh, it, it says a wicked borrow and don't repay. Romans 13, 7 says, give to everyone what you owe them. And, and the Bible warns us here in this proverb that we've seen, Proverb 22, 7, that, that when we borrow money, we place ourselves in a position of servitude to other people. Well, what's that saying? Well, well, I don't know if you realize this, but, but in ancient times, uh, to the people of Israel, who the writer of Proverbs were writing, uh, if a person borrowed money and couldn't meet the terms of, of repayment, they or a member of their family literally, literally became a slave to the person who they owed money to. And they weren't released from that slavery until the debt had been completely paid off. So understand, it was really risky business back then to borrow money, especially based on, on nothing more than a promise to repay when you didn't have something to put up uh, for collateral. And, and you know, friends, just as it was trouble back then, I, I think if the writer of Proverbs was here today and applying this stuff to us today, he'd say, hey, it's trouble again today. Uh, you, you know, today when we overextend ourselves with credit. And he might say to us that while we might not literally become slaves to the lender like people did a couple thousand years ago, in reality, we are slaves to them, aren't we? Because in reality, we're working to pay them off. You know, as I thought about this uh, in these past weeks in preparing for this message, I, I went online this last week and I, I, I and asked uh, you know, one of our office people to help us get some statistics together here. And, and I was staggered to read that the average American household carries $15,956 in credit card debt. That's the average household, almost $16,000. And, and they compared that to 10 years ago when the average household credit card debt was $8,000 and 20, 20 years ago when it was $3,000. Today's undergraduate college student carries, they say, 3000 This is the average college student carries over $3,000 in credit card debt. That's in addition to student loans. Last year, Americans charged $2.5 trillion 
on their credit cards. And they say that in most cases, just simply making the minimum payment, it would, you know how long it would take us to pay that off? Over 20 years. <laughs> 20 years of paying that off. Think we're not in slavery to people we owe money to? Think about it. And you know, as I've asked myself why it is in our culture that we borrow money the way we do, uh, I think back to that interesting book that was published in 1999 uh, titled The Overspent American. And it was offered, authored by a Harvard University sociologist who, who did research on the spending habits of the American consumer. And this sociologist said that back in the 1950s and the 1960s, uh, most Americans measured our standard of living by what our neighbors were doing and by what they made. That's where the expression, keeping up with the Joneses, comes from. Back then, we measured our standard of living according to how we saw our neighbors living. But she said, we don't, we don't do that today anymore. She said, today, most Americans compare our standard of living to the people we see on television. People who make many times more than, than most of us make. She wrote this. She said, many Americans are trying to emulate the lifestyles and spending habits of the richest of the rich. <laughs> Is it any wonder then why credit and consumer debt continues to rise? We're giving in, you see, to, to what are our desires and our wants instead of our real needs. Friends, if the writer of Proverbs was here this morning, he would say, hey, in our culture here today, if ever there was a time for living a life of balance and moderation in our lifestyle, that time has come. And we've got to decide ahead of time then. You know, before that temptation to spend hits, we've got to decide ahead of time what level of spending we are going to do in our life. And there's got to be a time, the writer of Proverbs would say to us, to those of us who are steeped in this Western American culture, to say to ourselves, I will not walk according to the lifestyle that our culture has drilled into me, but instead I'm going to walk according to a lifestyle that is shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we set ourselves up on a budgeting system, and we pay off our credit card debt every month, other than obviously something like a house or a car that, that is a high-ticket item that we've got to have in our culture to be able to live within our society. But even, you know, think about it. When it comes to our cars, we can still do something to get ourselves out of debt. Uh, as you, you could do what Vanessa and I did. We, we borrowed money for our first car and, and, and that we bought on credit. And, and after the car loan was completely paid off, what we did was we kept making that car payment to our savings account. So years down the road when that car died and we needed another one, we were able to buy that vehicle without having to borrow anything. The writer of Proverbs is saying to you and to me today, avoid foolish debt. Better to pay off credit card bills each month when they come in. And if you, we don't have the money to buy the stuff so that we can do that, maybe it's better yet that we don't buy it. The writer of Proverbs is saying, save all you can. Avoid foolish debt. And he says when we do that, we'll be living wisely in this arena of our life. Well, this brings us to the last part of John Wesley's statement, and it is to give all we can, or as the writer of Proverbs says, to share generously. If you're filling in the blanks there, put in that word generously. And look at Proverbs 3, 9 with me, where, where the Bible says this, 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, now Bible scholars talk about this, and, and, and they say that the writer of Proverbs here is referring to, to what is called the tithe. And, and I don't know if you know this, but in the nation of Israel, every family was, was required to give one-tenth of their harvest back to God. It was an act of worship to God, saying, God, thank you for all that you have done in my life and all the blessings you've bestowed on me. And as a, an act of thanksgiving, I'm going to give back to you 10% of what you've given to me. And it was also a way of reminding them that God really, truly was the source of all their income. And in Malachi 3, the Bible says that when a person withheld the tithe, what they were actually doing was, was robbing from God. God says, you're robbing from me what rightfully belongs to me when you withhold the tithe. And, you know, this proverb gets a lot more specific, doesn't it? It says, give the first fruits. In other words, you know, don't give the leftovers, uh, but, but give God the first part of the harvest. In other words... In our culture today, it'd be like saying, hey, the first check that gets written out of our paycheck is, is a gift back to God. Now, now, whether the tithe is binding on Christians today is another matter for debate. And Christians will oftentimes have these conversations going on in the church. And, and there are some people that will say that the tithe is part of the Old Testament law and that, that since Jesus came, uh, we don't have to follow the Old Testament law other than like the moral laws, like the Ten Commandments. But, you know, again, this is an area where, where I, I just say, let's look at the scriptures. And, and, and in looking at the scriptures, what we see is that tithing is not simply a, a law that God gave to his people Israel on Mount Sinai when, when God gave to Moses the Mosaic law. But, but rather, tithing is a principle that came long before Moses. And in fact, we see tithing in the very first book of the Bible in, in Genesis where, where it talks about people tithing. Abraham was commanded to tithe and, and Abraham tithed. And, and it goes beyond the Old Testament into the New Testament. Jesus in Matthew 23, I don't know if you realize this, in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus commends tithing. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. And, and he's saying, hey, you guys tithe and that's great. You should be tithing. But he says, don't also forget the weightier matters of the law, uh, like what Robbie was talking about this morning from Malachi, about doing justice and having mercy and compassion on, on people. And so Jesus commends tithing. Tithing, you see, is something that is practiced all through the Scripture. And so i got to say, at least I know from my own life, I, I think it's wise to live in harmony with that principle rather than against the grain of it. It's wise to give back to the faith family of which we are a part the tithe that God has called us to give so that the ministry of our faith family can move forward. And it's also wise to give as Paul talks about giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, to give generously over and above the tithe uh, in, in order to help meet the needs of other people, like in the way that Robbie was talking about this morning in his report from our denominational annual meeting. Because, folks, the Bible tells us that when we live in harmony with the principles of God, God says we'll be blessed. He says he'll bless us. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 through 25. It is possible to give freely and become wealthy. But those who are stingy will lose everything. The generous prosper and are satisfied. And then look at this, those who refresh, I love this, those who refresh others 
will themselves be refreshed. What's that saying? That's saying that when you and I follow the principles of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and we give over and above to meet the needs of others and to bless others, God is going to bless us in return. Now, I got to say, as I've said before, when we've talked about this kind of thing, that doesn't mean that if somehow we bless others financially, God's just going to pour a whole lot of money out on us. Like somehow then when we go and buy a lottery ticket, we're going to win the lottery. Quite frankly, you and I have more chance of getting hit by lightning than we do of winning the lottery. At least that's what the statistics tell us. Okay. So it's kind of the principle of when you and I plant an acorn, we don't get this big, huge acorn that grows out of the ground. An oak tree grows. And, and so sometimes God's blessing comes upon us in different ways. But in general, what God is saying is that when we bless others, he will pour out his blessing on us. And so we put there in the message notes for you some scriptures that we don't have time to look at this morning. You can go home and you can read uh, passages of scripture like Malachi 3 and Matthew 23, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, these scriptures that, that when we put them all together, basically God is saying to you and to me to give the tithe to the faith family we're a part of and then give over and above that to bless others and to minister to them generously. And when we do, God will bless us. But you know the other thing about what happens when we do? <laughs> When we do, we are going to be emulating God, aren't we? Because God is a giver. He is not a taker. God is a giver. After all, God gave to you and to me the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ. He gave his all in sending his son Jesus to the cross of Christ to die for your sin and mine, to, to give us his forgiveness. He was a giver, not a taker. He didn't sell us the sacrifice of Christ. He gave it freely. And so when we live as giving generous people, we are best reflecting the family resemblance of the one we call our Heavenly Father. You know, as we think about this this morning, as we think about earning all we can and saving all we can and giving all we can, I... I think back to a time a number of years ago in Vanessa's in my life, early on in our marriage when, when, when we, just, we were living in financial scarcity. We had been through five years of seminary and schooling, and when we came out of seminary, I, I went to work as a pastor in a little church that couldn't really pay much and couldn't compensate us much. So we were working outside jobs, trying to make ends meet. And, and you know, a couple of years into that, I, I got to tell you, I was so tired, so tired of financial scarcity, I got tempted to do two things that the Bible says we really shouldn't do, pretty foolish to do. First of all, I remember back then that a bank uh, sent me a credit card, unsolicited. It was a credit card. They wanted me to open up an account with them. And you know, I thought it would be so great to use this card to go out and buy some furniture and some clothes. But quite frankly, it would have been sheer folly to do that at that point because we just didn't have the money to pay for that. And then I remember a second thing I was tempted to do, and that was for the first time I truly was tempted to, to withhold our ties to the church. I, I was saying to myself, I am so sick of financial scarcity that I just wonder what would happen if, if we stopped giving to God the tithe. 
you know, God is good. And in the midst of that wrestling going on with me, he turned my attention to this verse in Proverbs 22, 7, where it talks about those who borrow are, are slaves to money lenders. And, you know, it was like God was saying to me in that very moment, hey, don't compound the pain of financial uh, scarcity by enslaving yourself into a kind of bondage that's going to make things even worse. God was saying, hey, you want to know what's worse than being broke? <laughs> being in bondage. And so, thankfully, I listened to what the Spirit was saying. I cut that card up and threw it out. I said, I'm not going to go down that path of folly. I'm going to go down God's path instead. And then a little while later, God turned my attention to this verse in Proverbs 3 that talks about honoring the Lord with all of our wealth and, and, and from the first fruits of all that we have, all of our income. And God was saying to me, hey, if you honor me, I'll provide. You may not be rich but I'll at least provide. And, and we, he did. We, we had a roof over our heads. We ate. And, and you know, at, at that point, in look, wrestling with this, I, I determined that, that no matter how little we made, we were going to honor God and give to Him our tithe. That we were going to bet our life on His wisdom, not my own. And I look back on those two decisions today and I think of, of the bad precedent I could have set for our family and our children. And I thank God for the wisdom of his word that kept me from going down that path of folly. Now, friends, as we think about all this stuff that we've heard today, we've got a choice to make, don't we? We've got a choice to make. And, 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 and that choice is, are we going to do things God's way when it comes to this money issue of our life? Or are we going to go the world's way? Are we going to do things our own way? And you know, I've got to say, if we do things God's way, it doesn't mean that it's humanly speaking going to turn out in the way we always want it to turn out. But I can tell you that God is faithful. And He will provide. And we've seen it time and time again in our life. And I've seen it time and time again in the lives of people in the Latin American countries, in the place like Nicaragua where I go on a yearly basis. When people are faithful, they may not have much. But God is faithful in return. And so God says we have a choice. And Jesus says in John 14 that if we love Him, that, that we will show that we love Him by, by making those choices in our life align with what He would desire. Now, now, understand, God doesn't force us to make those choices. God doesn't force you and me to do this stuff in our life because if He did, it wouldn't be love. He, he doesn't force us to this. But, but He gives us this choice. And so we've got to ask ourselves, do we really love God? And what will our choice be? And look at that in the light of Matthew 16 that says if we try to keep our life for ourselves, we'll lose it. But if we give up our life for God and for His way of living, it, He will give us true life. And He says, hey, is anything worth more than that? Anything worth more than our soul? And He says, no. And so I know in our own life, Whatever God has in mind for us, and I know in your life, whatever has God has in mind for you in eternity, that, 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 that's a whole lot better than what life here in this world can offer. And so when it comes to these kinds of issues in our life, what path are we going to choose? Are we going to choose God's way? Or are we going to choose the culture's way, the world's way? I pray that for you and for me today that we will make a commitment today to living wisely 
that we will embrace hard work, that we will avoid foolish debt, and that we will share generously. You know, the more I study God's word and the more I observe our culture, I am convinced that John Wesley was right when he said some couple hundred years ago, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Let's pray together. God, so often when we become a Christian, we struggle with obedience to your word in some area of our life. And for some of us, it's in the issues we've looked at in these past weeks. And for others of us, it's in this issue that we've looked at this morning and what to do with our money. Jesus, you say, if we love you, we will obey your commands. And so we pray that you would help us in this series to make decisions that are the turning point in our lives. So that when it comes to the issues of life that your word deals with, we will decide to love you. We will decide to give you our lives. In fact, we will decide to consecrate all of our living to you and to obey your word. Lord, we pray for this today. That is our plea. That is our prayer for each of us here this morning. And we pray these things through the power of your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. And all God's people in agreement said, Amen.